Welcome back to The Good Play, a podcast once again about NBC's The Good Place. My name is Brianna, and with me on the line, she's just some hot rando who walked in off the street. It's my sister, Marissa. Uh, I don't even remember what that's a reference to. It was a whole hour. I I didn't retain all the dialogue. Uh, I watched it a couple of times. So that's well, you had to write why. that. You had to write the notes. I did. I had to write the notes. But uh, it's it's when Eleanor asks Chidi, "Why are you helping me?" And oh, that's right. And she says, "I know you're a teacher, but like, I'm just you know, I'm not one of your students. I'm just a, some hot rando off the street." Uh, accurate. <laughs> yes, incredibly accurate. Gosh, we're like, I'm so happy we're back. <laughs> I'm so happy this is back. It was like the whole, uh, you know, so so. You know, I use uh, Chrome on, I have an Android phone and I use Chrome. And every time I open a new tab in, in my mobile Chrome, it'll just populate with like six links to things that I haven't seen, but it thinks that I want to see. Mm-hmm. So for like six months, it's just sort of been like, hey, Kevin Smith said something about the Captain Marvel trailer. I'm like, yeah, I care about that. Like, or 20 things you missed in Avatar The Last Airbender. I'm like, yeah, I care about that too. But then this week it's just like... Good place, good place, good place, good place. <laughs> like, because they're like, everyone is press junketing. And I'm like, yeah. yes, give it, give it, put it directly into my veins. <laughs> so we're very hyped on this. I am like super, super excited to be back, as, as is Marissa. Before we jump in, uh, there's a lot to recap, guys. This was an hour long episode, so a lot to get through. But before we do that, just very quick housekeeping up front. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and at goodplay.cast.rocks. Um, are we still asking for people to re- rate and review us on iTunes? I think we should I be. I mean, I always want people to do that, but I think we don't have to mention it every week. Okay, well, know? if you're new, so like if you are watching season three and you're like looking for, you know, you were looking for a new podcast and you found us, welcome. We're so happy to have you. And, you know, if you feel inclined... After you listen to a couple episodes, if you want to drop us a review, that would be great. You know, if you want to send us an email, you can do that at thegoodplaypod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at The Good Play. And at Twitter, we are at The Good Play Pod. So many, many ways to get at us. We had a couple people on Twitter, you know, for this episode chatting with us a bit. So that was fun. All right. Let's not delay anymore. Aha! So this premiere, like I said, was an hour long, which is twice as long as a normal episode. So we're going to try to move quickly, but like there's a lot here and there's just like a hilarious joke every two seconds. It was like so, so quick. So I, I tried to write down of it as much as I could, but uh, let's uh, let's do this. Do you want to do the recap or do you want to switch off? What do you want to do? Let's see how far I get. Okay. I can tag in if you need. Yeah. <laughs> So it opens with last season's closing scene of Jen and Michael descending to send the humans back to Earth. Uh, at the end of season two, we followed Eleanor on her first year back in the land of the living. But this time we follow Michael, who basically goes on this weird sort of catwalk situation. It looks like uh, backstage at a very fancy theater, but it's all very dark. And there's just a sort of salt of the earth doorman sitting there who has a f- frog keychain on a key. 
and he's the one who has to approve Michael going in and out of the, I was going to say the real world. What do you want to call it? The human world, I suppose. Yeah, the, Earth. the world of the living Earth. And so Michael's got this paperwork from the judge and he's, you know, very like, we talked about this last week because we did yeah. see this scene already. You know, he's very like, oh, you know, starts up a new timeline. <laughs> like, and the doorman's like, yeah, okay, cool, whatever. And he like stamps it approved. So Michael goes and averts the deaths of our protagonists. We are told he has no uh, supernatural power. So he basically has to just like get on a plane. Okay, this is, like, one of the biggest things for me that will come up in discussion, but, like, he's got a lot of aliases. How did he do that if he has no supernatural powers? Well, he doesn't need the. I mean, he's not getting on an airplane under an alias. He's just calling Chidi and being like, oh, hello, this is Dr. Charles Brain Man, and I'd uh, like to tell you I'm sorry, about I, this person who had I, a near-death experience. I think he's... Anyway, we'll get to it, but I I disagree with, oh, it's not that hard to just, like, show up at Tahati's book signing or whatever. We're not there yet, so. Okay, so Michael goes back to the ticker tape room with Janet, and he's so excited to have been on Earth, but Janet is just like, did you save everyone, yes or no? And he's like, yes, you know, including Jason, and she's like, does he look cute? And he's like, he looks the same, and Janet's like, oh, that means he looked cute. <laughs> Michael's like, okay, great, here we go. They're going to get better <laughs> somehow. <laughs> and uh, we see, we've already seen Eleanor's story in like excruciatingly wonderful detail at the end of yeah. season two, so we all know how that goes. Cheaty, we get a flash of him having an actual nervous breakdown over picking a muffin <laughs> from a food stall called. We crumb from a land down under. Yes. <laughs> and I immediately tagged Megan Amram like, this is your joke. But she did not respond, which so I felt very put out by. It's not a Megan Amram joke. That's why. Oh, what? So I listened to... So the I should not be plugging... I mean, we probably should be plugging the actual Good Place podcast that NBC puts out. Um, but they are now on, like, basically... The show airs on Thursday, and they will put out an episode on Friday, so I listened to it uh, today. And Mark Evan Jackson, who hosts it, uh, they had one of the writers on, Jen Statsky, who wrote these episodes, who is brilliant. And he was like, we crumb from a land down under. Is that who I think it's from? And she goes, actually, it's not, surprisingly. It was from one of their other writers who pitched it. And everybody thought it was going to be one of Megan Amram's, and it turned out to be this other guy. The AV Club also pegged it as a Megan Amram joke, so she just has a reputation now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she put out that whole, like, what, six-page list of, like, (laughs) all the fun she came up with. So this, I think that's why everybody thought it was her, but it was somebody else. And apparently, Jen Statsky was like, yeah, you know, uh, Megan's really, she's furious. She's going to ruin that guy's life. (laughs) So... (laughs) That's great. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> but the important thing is that Chidi had a nervous breakdown trying to pick a muffin. That's, yes. Yeah. So so, so this, these are a lot of flash forwards to, like, if it were a bad movie, you would be in, like, a freeze frame and the person being like, I guess you're wondering how I got here. Yeah. It's like record scratch. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so Tahani, at the same time, is doing, like, 582 questions with International Sophisticate Magazine. And it's supposed she's... to be a play on Vogue's, like, 73 questions that they wow. do. Wow. Yeah. That's too many questions. I know. It's a lot. And it's just her sort of being like, oh, oh look, you know, I- I'm so detached, and also I'm so beautiful and so wealthy, and what- I mean, just the worst. 
Yeah. And Jason is in the middle of proposing marriage to a police officer who <laughs> is arresting him for robbery. Do you think my first name is Kay? <laughs> oh, it's not great. No. So Michael is like, this is not going well. And he says, you know, first I need to get Eleanor and Chidi back together because, quote, the key is cheating Eleanor's con- connection. And I was like, hashtag Chelinor. <laughs> Michael yeah. is Michael is on the Chelinor train. And he yeah. definitely is. It becomes super clear later. Yeah. As and, is the writer who wrote these episodes, Jen Statsky. She she said it in the on the podcast. She's like, I'm very protective of their relationship and I love them together. I was like, great. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I'd, yeah. Let's. I'd like to have her over for tea sometime. Jen Statsky, come on. Get the at us. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Janet is worried about the judge finding out because the judge obviously could have the power to kibosh everything, put them back in the bad place, you know, everything like that. But Michael's like, she's binge watching NCIS right now, which I was like, is that the show Ted Danson was on? No, no. It turns out that's CSI. Yeah. <laughs> That would have been interesting. That would have been but, great. Yeah. Uh, and she's not going to notice. So he like runs back to the doorman and is like, hey, the judge said since I'm going to see the same people, like I can just use the same paperwork. And he's like, uh-huh. Okay. And he kind of stamps it. He looks suspicious, but not suspicious enough to do anything about it. Which is a lot of doormen I know. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? <laughs> a lot of doormen I run into in New York, they're like, okay, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so then, so then we become very clear on, you know, obviously, him being Sam Malone or whatever, and 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 it's funny they never get he has so many aliases in this, but they never give him an alias for the for the barman because I think we're all just supposed to understand that it's Sam it's Malone, Sam. yeah, and and so that obviously being the thing that impels Eleanor to fly to Australia, so now we're in Chidi's office, we are. You know, seeing the conversation between Chidi and Eleanor that we all wanted to see at the end yeah. of season two. And Eleanor's like, look, I'm just like a trash bag from Arizona and our biggest exports are racist sheriffs and HPV. Oh my God. <laughs> Hysterical. <laughs> but, you know, and, and he's like, you flew all the way out here just to talk to me. And she's like, yeah, you know, I had this near death experience and I need someone to help guide me, morally speaking. And I think I need it to be you. We get a lampshade on Chidi's American accent. So I read a, an interview with Mike Schur where he says, look, when we, read, when we wrote season one, episode one, we had no idea we were going to put them back on Earth. Yeah. So we sort of said like, oh, you know, Chidi is from Senegal and he speaking French and the good place is the bad place or whatever is auto translating it. Um, but we never expected we were going to have to actually address what this would be like in, in yeah. the real world. So we kind of just had to throw in a quick explanation. I find it 100% unsatisfying. It's like, I went to an American school. Like, yeah, people who go to schools later in life run by other people of other nationalities still have the accents yeah, of their I mean, of their youth. You're very stuck on accents. You were stuck on accents in Frasier, too. I do, do not care. And it's like, it's, it's, to me, it's sort of, it doesn't take me out of it at all. Like, I understand. He's an American actor. They have to kind of deal with that. And they actually, I, I heard something else from Mike Schur that said, like, they tested the idea of him, like... Doing, like, being, a, a Chadwick Boseman Yeah, Black like, doing Panther. an accent. Yeah. yeah, and they were like, it was, like... It's distracting, were, right? Yeah, he was like, he did a great job with it, but I think it would have been distracting, so... 
you know, it is what it is. I'm not. So what he, what, what Mike sure says, this is a quote straight from Mike sure. He says, I realized that ultimately being funny is more important than being 100% world buildingly accurate. So that's yeah, it. He said, know. because I'm a continuity nerd and a sci-fi nerd, we had to add an in-show explanation for it. But yeah. It's fine. I get very hung up on accents. Uh, there is a series from Wired Magazine on YouTube called Technique Critique, and they have four videos. They have a lot of videos from different people, but there are four videos from a like a dialect coach from uh, movies and TV, and it is like my favorite thing on YouTube. I'm a nerd. What do you want out of my life? <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, you know. So Chidi agrees to help her, and Michael and Jen are like, yes! And then Eleanor's like, well, why did you help me, though? I'm just some hot rando. (laughs) And Chidi's like, well, it's funny you mention it. And it's like, we get a flashback to, like, Chidi's whole life since his avoided death. The air conditioner almost crushes him. And he says, you know, this is a sign I shouldn't be using air conditioners. And Chidi's best friend is like, that is not the lesson you should be taking from this. Your brain is broken. And so Chidi's like, oh, if my brain is broken, I'm going to go see a neuroscientist. So he goes and meets Simone. This is our first look at Simone. I like Simone. She's adorable. Uh, Obviously, she's she's standing in the way of my one true pairing, but she's still adorable. Yeah. She is a neuroscientist at the this fake university that Chidi it's fake in the real world. It's real in the context of the show. This fake university that she and Chidi are teaching at she is a neuroscientist and he sort of says like look i think my brain is broken i want and she's like you want me to just like for funsies stick you in the three million dollar university mri and he's like uh she's like yeah it sounds like fun let's go do it is that her real accent by the way i think she's british oh so but she's doing an australian accent she's doing it really well yeah she is was this the scene where he also when he came to talk to her in her office He's, like, straddling the two chairs because he couldn't (laughs) pick one. Yeah. That was was so funny. That is so much worse than we have, like, I think ever seen from him. It's like like he's he's getting worse or they're writing him worse. It's... Well, yeah, I mean, because it is a situation where, like, he has had none of the... He has done none of the work that we've seen him do over the past two seasons to get better. Oh, that's a good point. Like, this is as if he never died in the first place. And so, like, he never learned the lesson of, like, oh, my indecision is, is like, hurting everyone around me and, like, causing problems in my life. Like, this is that this near-death is pure, experience. This is pure undistilled. Cheaty. Yeah, this, this is pure undistilled. And the way that he, while he's talking to her, switches from chair to chair is, like, just so brilliant. Yeah, he's a great he's a great physical comedian. Yeah, but he's just that's what he's doing is just uh like his his brain is broken and we have seen no efforts to improve himself. Yeah, as of yet. It it happens in a minute. So now yeah, so now we get an improvement montage. She sees the MRI that like his brain is normal. But then he sort of is like, you know, that means that I kind of have to, I guess, I, he, for some reason, he makes a decision to start making more decisions. I, I don't really remember how he got gets to that point. Well, she basically says, like, you know, you guys ponder, you moral philosophers can ponder one question forever. And science is all about getting answers. And I think he's comforted by the fact that there's, like, nothing... Um, quantitatively or qualitatively wrong with the way that he's wired like and he realizes like oh i can just like 
make a different decision and like start treating these things differently. So I think that has something to do with it. And that's what he does. He is, he ditches the thesis that he has been waffling about forever. So I guess he's like, he must be a, a, is he still a doctorate student or is he a postdoc or what? I don't know. Yeah, that's weird. He, he has breakfast with Henry and he just picks a muffin in one minute instead of an hour. Uh, he records that lecture series that Eleanor ends up seeing on YouTube, which is great. Chidi tells Henry that people just need to be more decisive. And he, he says, you know, what have you been putting off? What have you been not doing? And Henry's like, well, I've always wanted to sort of get more in shape. And he's like, then, then wake up tomorrow and decide to just do it. And then like instant smash cut to the hospital where Aww. Henry is like a mangled pulp because he like got stuck in the leg press and his knees now bend the other way. Okay, no lie. I am scared of the leg press of my gym. I don't do it because I am afraid of it crushing me. I can fully get on board with this. Oliver Sacks. So Oliver Sacks is maybe the most famous neurologist of all time. He's the inspiration for the Doctor in Awakenings. He once almost died in a leg press machine. So he was a huge... Uh, when he was young, he was like huge into bodybuilding and he was like, you know, like sort of amateur competitive bodybuilder. And he just like went into the gym early one morning and he's like, well, I'm going to see how much I can like leg press or whatever. No. And he did too much. He was being crushed by it and he was about to have, I think he said that he was about to have like a heart attack or an aneurysm or whatever. Thank God one other guy kind of like wandered in and saw him and like saved him. Uh, they became lifelong friends, but oh my <laughs> yeah, God. it's a... It's a dangerous machine. See, a near-death experience changes your life in a leg press. <laughs> yep. Okay. So then because of this terrible consequence of Chidi's otherwise pretty good advice, Chidi gets worse than he was before. There's also something at the muffins. Yeah. The nurse know, he, is he like, brings oh, her should... a ma- He brings Henry a muffin basket full of blueberry muffins, and the nurse is like, oh, you shouldn't eat blueberries. Because of the migrant workers. Which is and like, which is like, we've that's seen him trivially correct about every piece of food that you eat. I'm sorry, unless no, you no. are growing it in your own backyard, some morsel of the food that you are eating was picked or produced by someone who was treated less well than they should have been. Yes. That is not a good thing, but it is a true thing, and it should not be the way that you decide which muffin to eat. But that's a norm. That's like the response that we have cheaties but like we've seen cheaty do this before with almond milk and with the freon you know he's like i shouldn't be using air conditioners freons are terrible for the environment and his friend is like oh my god are you serious that's what you're getting out of this so that's how we get the nervous breakdown of the muffin cart where he like yeah. really wants the blueberry muffin but he's like hearing this nurse's voice in his head or whatever so he's like freaking out he goes to the library because Cheating and I are soulmates, and yeah, basically. Our, our response to literally any stressor in life is, can I find a book to read my way out of this? Yeah. So he goes to the library, and he gets like 60 books in his arms, just being like, I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna start over with my thesis, and, and I don't know what I'm gonna do, and one of them, one of them is Chocolate Book by Tay Zonday. <laughs> <laughs> and he runs into uh, Michael, you didn't did did he have an alias this time? No, he doesn't introduce himself. So he he's an he's an, a librarian. He has the worst Australian accent I think I have ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> Michael tells Cheedy that 
he needs perspective and that, you know, moral philosophers, blah, blah, blah. You need some perspective. And the way that you are going to get perspective is by helping someone else. And he says, like, sort of, like, looking into Chidi's eyes, like, you better be listening for this. Like, the next time someone asks for help, you say yes. <laughs> and Chidi's like, okay. And then Eleanor, like, comes in pretty much instantly. Yeah. <laughs> to as be if, like, help as, me. <laughs> as if it was, you know, as if it had been choreographed that way. Yeah. <laughs> and Eleanor is thankful to this librarian whom she has imagined as sexy and tells Chidi that he can also imagine random people he's never met as sexy and it, you can do it for free. <laughs> which I'm just I'm just imagining all the people on Tumblr who like ship Michael and Eleanor, which is Ugh, a thing. What? That's a thing? Yeah, of course it's guys, a thing. No. <laughs> guys, no. Guys, 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 <laughs> no. No. We've talked I, about this before. No. For fan fiction month. Oh, said, yeah, God, I didn't run. Ugh, no. <laughs> no. I don't want any degenerates like that listening to this podcast. Oh, stop it. No. Fanfic ain't hurting anybody. You want to ship Eleanor with any of the humans? Be my guest. Have a freaking field day. Not with Michael. Not okay. <laughs> no. Bad humans. No. So, so, yeah. <laughs> Michael's proud of himself, right? Yeah, and he's like, great, I did it. And then, now, but now we see that, of course, there is a dark side to all that, this, which is that Sean is conducting, like, an elite SWAT team of bad place employees who are trying to hack the judge's system somehow. And Glenn, remember Glenn, oh, poor old beardy milquetoast Glenn is like... <laughs> Why do you care so much about these four people? And Sean just puts them in a cocoon. And then you have something that says that music sting. And I don't know what you're talking about. The When he says, um, play something really horrible. Oh, 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 oh. And it's the Richard Marks song. Wait, what? Sing it. Sing it a little bit for me. Oh, wherever you go, <laughs> whatever you do. I will, I will be right here waiting for you. Whatever, Whatever it takes, or how my heart breaks, I will be right here. I'll see you next ever. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I I know I like, I have a. F- have a soft spot for that song i think it's I mean, because i think it's because mom used to put on easy listening in the car yeah it's like a lot of music from that era that would be would have been classified as easy listening which i found out later she hated and she only put it on in the car like basically to keep us to soothe the savage beasts that were her children like <laughs> as soon as we were old enough she put on like the college rock station WXPN for all of you Philadelphia natives. Um, and she's like listening to like, <laughs> like you know, the, the basically the college chart. She's like listening to like Foster the People or whatever. And <laughs> meanwhile, you and I, she has successfully brainwashed her own children. And we're like, put on that Michael McDonald, yo! <laughs> like, uh, I am in fact right now wearing the t-shirt that you bought me at oh. the Michael McDonald concert that yeah, you that I, a- I, paid to attend. Yes, I paid way too much money to attend that. I think I mentioned <laughs> that on the podcast and it was great. I know I keep mentioning this other podcast, but a funny thing about the music. So I guess they they had a different song in mind that they played on set. 
I think it was a blue a runaround by Blues Traveler. Oh, I really like that song. <laughs> and but what what the writer said was that when you are licensing the music, you can't just say, "Hey, can we use your song?" You have to say what the context is that you're using it in. <laughs> Ouch. So, so they were like, and John Popper was like, "John Popper, don't play that." Well, she basically was like, "We had to. We have to find." artists who are okay with the fact that we're like hey this is a song that literal demons use to psych themselves up to go like inflict torture on people and she's like i've i've heard that richard marx is just like real cool and like has a sense of humor about himself and like doesn't mind so that's okay that's why they use this well yeah that was a good one yeah <laughs> that was good yeah so we are seeing, like, now we flash to, like, a normal sort of cheaty Eleanor ethics lesson that we have seen so many times. Uh, she's doodling a burrito, which is a funny sort of callback to season yeah. two. Oh, she also has that great joke about Chipotle. She's like, is it pronounced <laughs> Chipotle? <laughs> it's because Aristotle, Aristotle and Chipotle. She's like, I thought Aristotle was pronounced like Chipotle. And then she goes, oh, is it Chipotle? <laughs> Delivery was amazing. Is is Chipotle even in Australia? Does Chidi even know what she's talking about? He's lived all over. I don't know. So Eleanor's like, oh, I'm trying to figure out how to pay you back for all this. And he's like, you don't owe me anything, which again, right. What yeah. we owe to each other, just yeah. in case anyone hadn't missed or hadn't uh, picked up on the theme of this entire show. Yeah. And she kind of offers on this on the DL to buy him drugs. And, she, and he's like, no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> So Chidi and Eleanor are walking across campus, just broing down, and they run into Simone, who kind of tries to ask Chidi out to dinner, and Chidi's like, oh, no, I'm good. And Simone's like, oh, okay. You know, and Eleanor's like, what are you doing? <laughs> and, and he's like, he's like, oh, just drop it. Oh, like, please just drop it. And then, of course, they go to the MRI, and while he's in the MRI, which is a very claustrophobic space. I mean, I've never had to have one, but it's, like, famously a claustrophobic space. Yeah. While he's in there and, like, you know, basically almost being tortured, you know, Simone's, like, asking her control questions. And Eleanor, like, grabs the mic, like, why haven't you asked out Simone yet? You know? Yes. <laughs> and Simone is, It's a great is, you know, scene. It's a great yes. scene. Simone is very game. She's, just, like, total sweetheart. And... You know, Chidi and, and Simone do end up sort of having a date set while he's in this little tube. Which yeah. Is... He's like, Simone, would you like to go to dinner with me? And she's like, wow, that's really inappropriate. And he starts freaking out. She goes, no, no, I was just kidding. I would like yeah. that. Yes. <laughs> I love Simone, but like, no. <laughs> I know. Well, so that's another I have shipper wars in the. In yeah, the yeah. We'll, we'll get to it. We'll, okay, get, we'll get, get to it. it. We'll get to it. So Jenna's like, oh, look, like. Uh, Simone and Chidi are getting together and like I've projected out their children one of them is hot enough to be on The Bachelor but smart enough to never go on The Bachelor (laughs) but Michael is like no it's supposed to be Chidi and Eleanor together and I was like that's right Michael you speak for all of us and I guess he speaks for the writer of the episode (laughs) but Janet's like no 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 there were plenty of reboots where Chidi and Eleanor didn't get together and like he still helps her like they're still best friends like you know chill yeah but now it's time to get Tahani and, and Jason into the fold as well. Yeah, I mean, I, Michael kind of thinks like, oh, well, it's it's not just like, you know, I, I think he thought that if he got Chidi and Eleanor together and they like fell in love, then like everything would be okay. But now that they're not, he's like concerned that he needs to nudge even more. So he's like, okay, I've got to get Tahani and Jason back to 
back to the rest of the crew. Right. And and Janet is super concerned, obviously, that they're going to get caught. But he's 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 pretty much not being swayed by any of these arguments. So he goes back down. But when he does that, it gives one of the demon hackers like a backdoor into the judge's system, which I, I guess is sort of almost quasi plausible from a cybersecurity standpoint. <laughs> and so now we know that the bad place has a way into Earth, which they did not have before. Mm-hmm. And Sean is psyched about this. And that's kind of where the chapter ends. But it all flows into each other the way that it always does when they have these two parters. Yeah. So now Chidi and Eleanor are back in Chidi's office. And Eleanor's like, how was your date? And he says, you know, it was great. And thanks for bullying me into it. And she says, well, I owed it to you again. I hope nobody was missing the theme of this television program. And Eleanor's like, you chickened out on kissing her, didn't you? And he's like, yes, I did. And I'm very mad at myself. And and Eleanor says like, well, you know, you guys can have a hot date, like reading Plato in an MRI machine. And Chidi has a new idea for his thesis, which I have to be honest, sounds kind of weird and lame, but whatever. I'm not a philosophy doctoral student. Yeah, I mean, I have some questions about like how this would actually work. But whatever. Yeah, so he wants to have a co-production thesis with the neurology department or the neuroscience department where he studies the brains and moral decisions of people who have had near-death experiences. And Simone agrees to help and they have their first kiss and Michael's like, okay, this works. I mean, I'm not sure what Michael's plan was before (laughs) to get all of them together. So... Tahani joins the study, Chidi's study, and we see the path of decisions that led her up to that point. Uh, Michael saves Tahani, and she knows that it was a man who saved her, but everyone else thinks it was Camilla, who is terrible. Oh, she's the worst. Yeah. She, also, yeah, Michael she... looks like Karl Lagerfeld <laughs> <laughs> in this scene. <laughs> Tahani gives up all of her possessions to the goodwill, which is what she calls Prince William, who married a commoner and therefore certainly knows some needy people in need oh of God. her clothing. Hilarious. And she flies Comfort Plus to a Buddhist monastery where she honestly it seems like for like a, over a year is just sort of honestly living a sort of monastic life. Now, she yeah. does appear in every scene in that monastery to have a full face of makeup. But it's, yeah, how did that happen? I have no fine. idea. Maybe she packed it. Maybe that was like her one carry-on in Comfort Plus. It was like her makeup bag. <laughs> so then a film crew shows up from something that is obviously supposed to be Vice. Oh and they God. are savage to this. Hysterical. <laughs> Yo, tiny dude. Like, what, whatever, man. What's up? That's tight. That's tight. Yeah. yeah. Hey. And she's yeah. like, what are you doing here? And, and he's like, hey, we're... We're doing a new series. It's called like what is it called? Like the world I, is after something like yes, that. Yes, that's right. And it's and it's he's like you know it's about like poverty and poverty drugs and, and also like weird restaurants and and, and <laughs> skateboarding, but also like human trafficking and religion. <laughs> it's like it's just so. Oh God. Oh, Vice, Vice can Vice can take a long walk off a short pier for <laughs> sure. So she does not do anything with vice but she sort of yeah, realizes they offer that... to do a profile of her basically yeah but and she she's... sort of realizes she can capitalize on her decisions in the last year or whatever so she writes a book called get out of the spotlight <laughs> and the blurb on it is 
this book is so brilliant i've decided to stop writing because i'll never top it malcolm gladwell and then under it it says ditto cormac mccarthy <laughs> yeah this is great <laughs> um so we see her at like a press event and then this guy you didn't write down his alias oh michael's alias gordon for this. indigo gordon indigo <laughs> <laughs> Gordon comes up and says, like, hey, yeah. And he's, like, in, like, a black leather jacket. He's also, he looks like his, No, um, he's, this is, black leather jacket is Zach Pizzazz. <laughs> this yeah. is, he looks like somebody who, like, lives in Taos, basically. Like, has, like, a linen shirt yes. on and, like, some beads. I, I can't believe I mixed up Gordon Indigo and Zach Pizzazz. <laughs> <laughs> Zach Pizzazz is my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> <sighs> So he comes up, he's like, I get it, I get it. Like, you've tricked all these people and, like, we should do some merch or whatever. And Tahani is, like, horrified by this. But I think she also sees that he has sort of seen through her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says, you know, he tells her, you get to be rich and famous without doing any of the work of helping people. And Tahani is, like, very offended by this. And then she says, like, the next thing that someone asked me to help with, you know, I'm going to (laughs) do. Okay. Yeah. And then Chidi somehow, you know, her Chidi has her assistant on the line. The assistant's like, no, Miss Aljamil is too busy. And then she, like, snatches the phone. She's like, is this going to help people? Chidi's like, I hope so. And she's like, I'll do it. And yeah. Like, book me flight to Sydney. Okay. And now we need to bring in Jason. So, Zach Possess. <laughs> My favorite. <laughs> yeah. So, Michael disguises himself as a dance group promoter named Zach Possess. <laughs> And he says, you know, come to Australia. There's a there's a street dancing competition. And Jason's like, I don't think I'm going to do street dancing anymore because, like, I've had the craziest year. And it started about a year ago. And <laughs> My year started about a year ago. Yeah. Can I just front load this section by saying, I think this was my favorite section in terms of the comedy. Yes. It's uh, yes. so chock full of, like, the best. Just every single line was funny. Starting with my year started about a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So he, we see his near death and it is way worse than any of the other ones, right? Like yeah. the other three are like instantly squashed, basically. He is freaking out inside this safe that he got locked in. And he's like, it's like having, it's terrible. I mean, it's absolutely terrible. It's exactly what you would imagine like asphyxiating would be like. It's awful. Yeah. He kind of falls out of the safe like you know, we're not doing this no more. Like, I almost died trying to rob a Mexican restaurant. I have to change my life. Which so is, then- like, I like, I appreciated that kind of range from, like, Manny Jacinto did a great, does a great job all the time. But we've never seen Jason, like, serious before, really. Yeah, and he's serious for about three-tenths of a second. He's serious for three-tenths of a second, but, like, you could tell he was really rattled in that moment. Because he's like, I gotta change my life. Yeah, and so then, then there's, there's two posters... <laughs> Right next to each other. And one is for Jacksonville City College. And it says, change your life. Like, literally. Yes, that's what it says. And then the other one is like, there's a, you know, there's a dance competition called Swamp Stomp. And that's the one he picks up. And it just sort of flashes to Michael briefly being like, and you didn't see any other posters. (laughs) And Jason's like, no. (laughs) God bless the props people on this show like the second set decorators <laughs> the best job though oh my god so great so he gets dance dance resolution ready for swamp stomp <laughs> and a bunch of people leave because they don't want to work that hard and a bunch of people leave because he says they're not going to do any more crimes <laughs> 
they compete in the competition and they're disqualified for having like six times as many people as they're supposed to have. And Jason won't accept it. Poor thing. Yeah. And then we see a montage of them losing a bunch of competitions. And then eventually Jason tells his crew that they have to go back on, on doing the whole crimes thing because they need to pay rent for their rehearsal space. And this their is how Jason... Their rehearsal space in... Was it the Carmen Electra Theater or something like that? Yes, and I think that's where the competition was. Oh, the was, competition but... was in the Carmen Electra Theater at the Smith & Wesson Performing Arts yes. Center and ATP <laughs> Repair. Holy moly. Oh, I mean, they are... They are they Savaging. Are, they are burning Florida, like, to the ground. <laughs> it's uh, it's great. It's super It's like great. Sherman moving into Atlanta. I mean, jeez. Yeah. So, when Jason gets arrested, Pillboy bails him out eventually and he and Jason get drinks and they're talking about everything that's happened since their failed robbery attempt and Pillboy is like very encouraging and says like you know you're a dreamer you know that don't don't let the world kind of grind you completely down. yeah exactly and um and but Jason is like no I'm done with this and that's so he wanders outside and meets Michael and is like and then I went outside and I met a promoter named Zach Pizzazz. And, and Michael's like, no, no, we're, that's me. We're caught up now. <laughs> Which was like my other favorite joke from also, this. Also, Pillboy gives him a Vicodin. Well, he, he thinks, well, it's, he a thinks Vicodin, it's a Vicodin. It's and it turns out to be a laxative. Oh, my God. And Michael oh, says, no. I totally understand. I used to rep this crew called the Demons. And Jason's like, oh, I know. I know them. And they all died when someone put a hammerhead shark in their hot tub. <laughs> but, you know, Michael says, you know, I had to, you know, I had to make new friends and they sort of made me a better person. So, you know, I know some people who could help you be a better person. And is that what you would want? And Jason says, yes. And that's how he gets to Australia. And Michael goes back to the doorman, brings him a, a like a th- a travel mug that'll keep the coffee warm or antimatter. That's what the that's what they have as coffee in the behind the scenes place. And it has a frog on it and the doorman is like in love with it. So yeah. that's good, I think. Yeah, he's like, that went over really big. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like as Michael is sitting down, Jen comes in and they're like, ah, hey, hi there. And Janet especially is like very flustered. Yeah. And Maya Rudolph is like, oh, yeah, you know, I got through all of NCIS and I find, you know, I find that Mark Harmon very, um, very appealing. And <laughs> Janet says something like, according to the thoughts of 7 million Caucasian women, you know, the next thing that you should watch is uh, Stealing Home, which is like a, so I looked this up, it's like an 80s movie about a baseball player who's in love with a dead woman. It, it sounds Ooh. very melodramatic. Well, so is <laughs> NCIS, honestly. Yeah. And Jen is like, oh, that sounds great. Okay, you know, you wanna, do you want to come have some nachos and we'll watch it together? And Janet's like, yeah, I actually can't eat, but thanks. And she's like, oh, okay, you know, whatever. And kind of wanders off without actually looking at the ticker tape, which was Janet's entire purpose in sort of distracting her with us yeah. killing home. Yeah. And Michael tells Janet, okay, well, like, we're done having to interfere because everything is fine now. But it's so, okay. The cockroaches are together. Also, Simone is there. And Simone is showing them all the MRI machine. It's like, okay, we're, you know, we're doing great or whatever. And Simone says, it's very, 
It's very tight this in there. This is <laughs> my favorite joke ever told by anyone in the world. Anyway, <laughs> She says, I hope none of you is claustrophobic. And Jason says, who would be scared of Santa Claus? Oh, the Jewish. And then Eleanor immediately goes, buddy, are you from Florida? And he's like, yeah, Jacksonville. She's like, uh-huh. I can't. I, I'll be honest. The, so, I, like I said, I watched this a couple times. The first time... I did not even hear the exchange about, are you from Florida? Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't hear it because I was cackling with laughter. <laughs> I laughed. Meanwhile, so Kate is like, hush, I'm not Kate, inviting you back if Kate you keep is laughing like, like this. Kate is like, why do you find that so funny? And I was just like, I just, I, I, it just broke me. I don't know. It was so <laughs> funny. Jason, oh my god, what a ding dong. <laughs> and then she says, oh, we have one more person for the study. You know, he almost got hit by a train, you know, six months ago or whatever. And so he's joining the study and then open the door. Dun, dun, dun. It's Demon Adam Scott. But he is, he is made up to look like, if you remember in the community episode, the Law and Order community episode where Troy makes himself out like a, yes! like a varsity letterman <laughs> to trick starburns into stealing his backpack that's how adam scott is being made up in this. he's like, like how do you do yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and his hair is all slicked back he's got his little backpack or whatever he kind of comes in he's like hey guys and it's like oh and and michael is like looking at the ticker tape like janet something is wrong there's something very dark like i don't know what's going on and then we see it's trevor Boom, my boyfriend's back. <laughs> and you're gonna be in trouble. <laughs> Literally, we're in trouble. This is bad. So so I am slightly annoyed at NBC because I don't know if this was your experience watching it, but my yeah. experience watching it was that between, I should say, in the last commercial break, they had a, a preview for next yeah, week's show. I saw that Including too. Michael talking to Trevor. So I was like, oh, so... Trevor's coming back and then it's like oh that was the stinger on the like don't do that NBC like come on I know come on should have played it directly afterwards but still but anyway Trevor's back your boyfriend all right whoo we made it through that was a lot yeah discussion time we can I have a like a lot of things to discuss we can pick and choose we can do I've talked so much why don't you just why don't you just guide us well my like I said, my boyfriend's back. Very happy We're about this. We're gonna be in trouble. Mm-hmm. So I think Sean sent Trevor in as a mole. I think that's pretty clear. But my friend Kate, who I watched this with, had a question of of how did he get in if demons don't know about the secret door? Because does that include Sean or not? Does Sean know about the secret door? I guess that was the I, whole point of all of the hacking stuff. Yeah, I guess that's true. That well, they that they used Michael entering through that door that's how they to found it. they either are using that same door, you know, via some sort of nefarious means, who knows what, or they have sort of created their own door based on the door that exists. That's why that whole hacking scene was in there. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, question answered. Moving on. How much does Jen know about their plot? Does she know Michael and Janet? Mostly Michael. Does she know that they're sneaking in? Is that the question? Yeah, like, does she know what they're up to and she's just playing it cool? Or has she really just binge-watching every episode of NCIS? I mean, if she's a... I don't know. If she's a judge, then she wants this sort of to play out in a fair way, so I'm guessing no. On the other hand, she's supposed to be omniscient, more or less, right? And yet she doesn't know this is happening, so I don't know. I'm just sort of wondering, like... I wouldn't be surprised if she, like, t- 
timed her her little scene to like come out the minute that he got back in to like kind of rattle them a little bit or test them it's possible she is supposed to be i mean she's obviously the most powerful being that we have seen so far it just doesn't it just doesn't sit right with me that they could pull one over on her in her own like area of the afterlife right like and and we we're told that she's binge watching NCIS, but we don't actually know that. Like we we don't see her doing that. So true. I don't know. I don't know. The only thing I can think is that you know she's gone millions of years without having to do much, and she's kind of gotten complacent. Mm. That that could be true. That could be true. Yeah. I so like. I wonder. It sounds like she's going to be in other episodes because I have yes, a, like a little spoiler corner um, at the very end. And there is a bit from Judge Jen in that. So we are going to get her like back. So she is, I'm assuming at some point she finds out about this. I would be shocked if she didn't. Yeah. (laughs) So before we go any further on like sort of nitpicky discussion, like why don't you just say how you felt about the episode as a whole? Oh, I loved it. I loved every (laughs) minute of it. I was like so happy to be back in, in this like crazy world. And I thought it was really funny. I thought it was really quick. And I actually, like, you know, it's funny. We didn't really do a whole lot of, in our last episode, like, we didn't really do a whole lot of anticipating, or we did a lot of anticipating, but we didn't do a lot of, (laughs) uh, what's the word I'm looking for, like, predicting? No, we all agreed that it was impossible. It's it's impossible. And, like, honestly, I could not have predicted. The only thing I correctly predicted was Simone, which we're going to get to in a minute. But everything else, like, I could not have written that. And I think that's, like, honestly, that's one of the best things about this show is that it's so, like, it's this half-hour sitcom on network TV, and it just keeps you guessing every single episode. There has not been a single episode where I've been like, oh, this is what's going to happen, and then it happens. It's, and this, this setup in particular, and the way that everybody is relating to each other differently. I thought that was really interesting. Like, you know, Eleanor and Tahani meet for the first time and it's not this like antagonistic thing that we've seen in seasons one and two. It's like, they're kind of cool with each other and you know, yeah. Eleanor immediately endears herself by saying that she's not that into Camilla as a musician. Like that's it. And you know, and Eleanor gets, Tahani pretty immediately and be like, oh, I, I would say you could sleep on my couch, but like, you're too fancy for that. Like, you know, but there's no animosity. Like, she just seems, and the same thing with, you know, this goes into Ship Wars too, but the same thing with Eleanor and Chidi. Like, th- we get to see them have a similar kind of relationship to what we saw in seasons one and two for like the teacher student relationship, but the context is different. And it's just really interesting to see, you know, I think at the end of season one, we were so heartbroken about the idea of these characters that we'd come to know and love having to find each other again and like learning all these lessons over again in season two and oh they're not going to know each other and that's going to be really hard and they're they're, you know we're going to have to watch them get better and again after they've learned so much and that's going to be really hard but I actually at the end of season two you know didn't feel heartbroken at all I was so like you know once we found out that they actually were back on earth which you know at first, we thought it might have been a simulation. Like Our I, Facebook group voted for simulation. Yes. I resurrected <laughs> I, that post I this week. I voted for simulation, I think. You know, once it was confirmed that they are actually back on Earth, I was so excited about all of it. I wasn't heartbroken at all. But it's an interesting thing to see. it. The whole show basically resets every single year. 
Right. Pretty incredible. So my, my feeling on the episode was that it was a lot of table setting. Yeah. It was very funny table setting, but it was a lot of table setting. And so in that sense, it reminded me most of season one, episode one. Mm-hmm. Because season two, because it took place in kind of the same reality as season one, they didn't need to set the stage very much. It was like, you, you kind of know how this world works and you know what the deal is. You know what the deal is way more than any of the characters know what the deal is. So, like, we can just jump right in. And if you remember, season two, episode one is extremely fast paced and mm-hmm. it it doesn't do hardly any sort of exposition. Yeah. Um, so, so, but this was more like season one, episode one, where, you know, it's like, here's the neighborhood and I'm Michael and this is who we think that you are, even though that turns out to be a lie, of course. Mm-hmm. This was a lot more like that of like, okay, we're on Earth, which is not a place that we've seen much except in flashback. And so we're going to have to do some sort of exposition stuff about sort of everybody's lives and, and all that. And so... You know, for that reason, it's not as perfect an episode as the episodes that don't have to do that kind of thing, right? What, you know, what are the perfect episodes of The Good Place? I would say probably season two, episode two is the, is the most amazing. The one where they... Resolution. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that one for me is probably like, if I had to pick one to win the Emmy, <laughs> it would probably be that one. But, you know, all, we we've seen all kinds of wonderful episodes out of the show. The one where the the four of them have to pretend to be bad place that was employees. Be my vote. That was my vote. Because that also, the, that's the one where Michael sacrifices himself. Yes. And that is, of course, just absolutely excellent. And so the so that kind of stuff, like, you, you, you know, the episodes where you don't have an obligation to do all this world building are obviously a lot peppier and a lot more sort of... Meteor. A- Meteor, yes. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say out there because they're also a lot more out there. Yeah. So, so you know, for that reason, you know, it's not my favorite episode, but it couldn't possibly have been <laughs> because they had way too much work to do. There was way too much heavy lifting to do narratively, you know, to make it sort of some sort of um, uh, experimental, <laughs> you know, right. look into this, that or the other thing in in terms of you know, being in the afterlife or, or making these hard choices or whatever, because there's no hard choices to make yet because they're all just meeting each other again. And so in that sense, I, you know, that's the only reason that the resets are a little bit frustrating is because you do kind of force yourself to do this kind of episode every year. Almost. Yeah. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about it that way. I was like, you know, cause, and it's only because look, if, if this were like, 1999 and we, we were getting like 22 of these episodes a year like who cares it's one episode and there's 21 of them left to go and like who cares if the first one is a table setter cheers is filmed in front but, of a live studio audience <laughs> but uh it's not it's 2018 and this has like 13 episodes in a yeah. season yeah and this is two of them it counts as two yeah so that's a significant proportion of the show sort of being taken up with like, and this is who this is and this is where they are and whatever. And it's just like, I want to get to the parts where things are going to be like causing me to gasp, you know? Yeah, and you obviously the, 
Yeah, obviously the inclusion of Trevor at the end was a surprise, although given the whole, like, bad place hacking thing, something like that we knew was bound to happen. Uh, But yeah, like, I want to get to the absolutely nutso stuff that's just going to leave me on the edge of my seat. And like, that's not what this was, because it couldn't, they couldn't make it that way. Yeah. And it does kind of like, I'm like, oh, this is is so much of what we're going to get this season, like, percentage wise. Yeah, I mean, I think I find it interesting. You know, I, I agree with you. I kind of hadn't thought of it that way. But I also really did like the the look at everybody's lives post near death experience and all those kinds of things like it's obviously not as wacky and out there but you know the whole premise to begin with is pretty wacky and out there that they would hmm. be allowed to be you know put back on earth and their deaths have been averted and you know their 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 different reactions to that and that kind of thing i mean i i I think I have a feeling because this is the good place that we are going to get progressively wackier as the oh, season goes. Oh, I am hundred percent sure. Yes, but I did, I I did enjoy this for what it was. But I I think yeah, I mean yeah, I I I really enjoyed it. But I don't think I was. I think I appreciated some of the table setting because I wanted to know. I mean, I remember last year when what God was it last year or last season or whatever when we were watching the final episode of the season like we were wondering like where is jason where is tahani like what's up with them so to be able to see that i think was gratifying in and of itself because and also like where's chidi really like we know what we know him in relation to like what's going on with with eleanor but we don't know what else had happened to him so now we at least have that a little bit of context for all of them which i appreciated because i think last Last time they were so focused on Eleanor and Sam Malone <laughs> that we didn't get... It wasn't evenly dispersed. So this time I think they also kind of had to provide some background for everybody. I will say that if you looked at Eleanor's story and it and it has the broad outlines of, well, the near-death experience changed me for a moment or for some amount of time, but then eventually I reverted back to my old ways. Yeah. In that way, all of their stories were predictable, in a sense. Probably Tahani's most of all. Yeah. (laughs) With the exception of Jason, actually, I think. Because Jason does have, like, obviously he goes back to, like, doing petty crimes. But he is the one who kind of has the epiphany of, like, maybe there's more to life than this thing that I've been trying to do all this time. And it comes from him having reverted like so he tries to be good he gets you know ground down grinded ground down by (laughs) i don't know yeah i don't know by basically by the fact that like you know honest competition he can't follow the rules (laughs) he can't he can't follow the rules in an otherwise honest competition he's like not much of a you know rule follower anyway but he's trying to be legit and it doesn't really work. And then he runs out of money. We've talked a lot about how much of Jason's behavior is driven by the fact that he needs money. I actually think that, you know, you had said that there was no friction between Tahani and Eleanor this time. I actually think that the reason is because of money. 
that in the good place it was as i we've talked about this like a hundred times that it's like the good place you know it's not really the good place whatever their neighborhood yeah was a post-scarcity society where the only currency was this social currency yeah of you know, it was sort of like that stupid, um, that nosedive episode of Black Mirror. Ugh, what if phones yeah. were too much? <laughs> but that was like the, that was really what was happening in The Good Place was that the only, your only measure was, you know, this points tally or maybe how everybody in the neighborhood felt about you. There was no money. There was no, you know, Tahani couldn't position herself as better than anybody else because of her extreme wealth. And I actually think that that is why there was no friction between Tahani and Eleanor when they met in person, which I know this sounds like kind of down on Tahani, but I don't think it is. I don't mean it to be. Is that like there's an obvious social class difference between them and Tahani kind of takes comfort in that and is accustomed to that. And so doesn't feel threatened by Eleanor in any shape, form or fashion because Eleanor yeah, and she are right. on completely different planes of existence. Yeah, like you're right. They're in the same study, but Tahani is fabulously wealthy, unbelievably gorgeous, you know, internationally famous, best-selling author, you know, plaudits from here, there, and everywhere. And Eleanor is just some random American who, you know, threatens Tahani in no way at all. As opposed to In the Good Place, Eleanor is a threat to Tahani in various iterations in various ways, right? And sometimes yeah. it's that she has the diagonal word belt. <laughs> That says that she's the best wearing a sash. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes it's, you know, a romantic rival for Jason or Chidi or whoever. Right. Like, but, but she in the, in real life, like they're, they don't compete for anything. Yeah, that's true. And, and like, Eleanor's pretty comfortable with that too. She's like, just looking at you. I don't think you're going to be comfortable on my couch. So you should get your own place. Like she's also very comfortable with the fact that like, she's, like, she calls herself a trash bag. She knows who she is. You know, she's not right. trying to be anybody right. else. So that 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 makes sense. But yeah, I mean, going back to Jason for a hot second, because he is quite hot. Uh, he's the smoke <laughs> show. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that he's the only, he's the one who I think has had the most of a, most prominent of a change, I guess, because he tried to do this thing. He in a legit way didn't work out he went back to a life of petty crime but he's having misgivings about it in a way that you know eleanor doesn't have misgivings about not being a good person anymore until she talks to ted danson as the bartender like we have to assume that she has that same little voice that she tells michael yeah. about in the first place yeah. but it's not manifesting itself no and she's not yeah she's not saying it, it's it's almost as if the so the bar scene between uh, Pillboy and Jason, which interestingly I wrote this down. Pillboy seems to have gone basic, like legit as legit as you can be while you're like stealing, while you're like taking old ladies' Vicodins. But like he got a job at an old folks' home. Like he had a job. At I a wonder if he had home. that job before. Anyway, I, I kind of think he may have always had that job. Oh, see, I read it as like he didn't have any because in an earlier episode they were like we spent our last seven dollars on this burrito like if he's working he would have had the money so it to me it sounds like in the last year he has like gotten a job at a retirement home and like is it's this is gonna be like kind of a reach but it's coming to me at this moment the scene in goodwill hunting where will is like 
Which is funny because we're tired. Goodwill, you know, she gives her clothes to the Goodwill. <laughs> but the scene in Goodwill Hunting where Matt Damon says, like, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to still be here and we're going to, like, raise our kids together and blah, blah, blah. And Ben Affleck basically tells him, like, you have a gift and, like, the rest of us are stuck here, but, like, you need to go. Uh, and if you're still here, I'm going to beat you up. Uh, I'm doing a very bad job paraphrasing. At least you're not trying to do the Boston accent. No, I I know better than that. Um, Especially after uh, Michael's Australian accent. That, to me, was like, this is a version of that in a weird way. Like, Pillboy got a decent job where, like, he he realizes that he's kind of reached his potential. He's like, "I, I like it okay. The old ladies are sweet. Sometimes they give me what they, you know, think is candy, but it's actually Vicodin. And, like, that's how I kind of, like... You know, I just kind of get through it. I like it okay, but you're a dreamer and, like, you're destined for something bigger. That, you could imagine if, you know, Pillboy and Jason actually have this, like, incredibly sweet relationship. I could imagine a scenario, and we actually saw kind of a scenario of, of Eleanor being frustrated with the fact that she's trying to improve her life. And her friend just goes, well, that's on you. Like, you should just do what everybody else does and mm-hmm. look out for yourself. So... You know, I I think Eleanor does have that little voice, but she doesn't have any external version of it. But Jason does have this externalized realization of like, you know, I got to something's got to change or like, I don't think I'm going to do this anymore. I'm not meant for this. And so he's that's when we see him again, when he's when he meets up with Nick Pizzazz. (laughs) What do we think? Zach Pizzazz. I'm so sorry. Yeah, Zach Pizzazz. What do we think? Let's just assume... (laughs) let's take like the good place out of it for a minute let's just say that they've set the four humans back in their life they've michael averts their deaths and then everybody washes their hands of them and says like we're just gonna let them live what is jason supposed to be doing what do you mean (laughs) Like, like what in 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 the best of all possible worlds for jason what is jason's path in life well, that's what he's struggling with, right? He thought it was going to be amateur street dancing. <laughs> he is still wearing his DJ music hat, which makes me think that, you know, he might still be trying to DJ. Is he good at it, though? He's good at dancing. Yeah, he's not good at DJ. He's not good at DJing. Manny Jacinto in real life is a good hip hop dancer. So it works out. I just don't know what Jason is supposed to be striving for. He obviously has an IQ, like, in the mid-70s. <laughs> And uh, seems to not be able to kind of, uh, you know, on an artistic front, kind of follow through on the logistics of the artistic stuff. So, like, just not sure what he's supposed to be doing. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess him... I, I guess the real answer was that he was supposed to pick the other poster and go back to go to college, you know? Like, he was supposed to be but like, But he oh. couldn't possibly be successful in college. Like, I don't... Yeah. It, it, it's partially not his fault, because obviously his K-12 education was uh, took place in some... Leonard Skinner High School. <laughs> but he, he's not prepared for college. He's probably not bright enough for, like, college algebra, you know? Mm-hmm. Like... There, there's a there's some very real stuff about how if you are deeply unintelligent that there's not much for you in the world and that's a terribly sad topic and I don't necessarily need to but I'm in in the world of work I should say but there's plenty there's plenty for you in the world of 
interpersonal relationships and, 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 you know, your hobbies or whatever. But in terms of like things that will get you enough money that you can pay rent and eat food, like there, there's not a lot. But I think that's maybe what Pillboy is supposed to be, right? Like, you know, I read a, I read a review that's basically like Pillboy is the only person dumber than Jason, right? Like he's, (laughs) you know, but I think that's kind of what that's supposed to be. He takes this job he takes this job that, you know, it seems we don't know what his job at the old folks home is, but I would imagine it's some sort of like care attendant or something, right. you know, he's a he's a he's like a he can't even he's not a nurse. That's for dang sure. But like, you know, he might be janitorial. He might be a, a somebody who works in the food services. He might be like some kind of like home care kind of person. But it's. You know, it's a job that he's good at because you don't have to have had, like, a college degree in order to do it. And he's, like, basically okay with doing it, and he's accepting, like, okay, this is, this is, you know, what I'm going to be doing. I mean, I, I, I think you could say, without making a value judgment about certain industries, like, I think there are some industries, like, if you're in Florida, I don't know that you need to have a college education in order to, like, work at a hotel front desk or something. Like, there are a lot of, there's a lot of hospitality jobs, but you would need to have, I think, if you're working at a hotel, I think you would need to have a clean record, which Jason certainly doesn't have. Yeah. So there might also be some issues with him and the fact that, like, he's had run-ins with the law. I mean, I think we're getting a little too, like, in the weeds about, like, yeah. I want you to tell this. Life. I want you to tell this story about a do-not-duplicate key. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, I have a, a couple sets of keys to my apartment, and one of them is, like, my spare set, and the main key to, like, my apartment building wasn't working on that, on that key set. So... That's the one that says, do not duplicate. And when I got the apartment, when they gave me the keys, they said, you can't duplicate this one on your own. Like, you have to come back to the office and get it worked out. So I thought I was going to have a house guest this weekend. Ended up not happening, but that's like a whole other thing. So I was like, oh, you know, she needs to come and go. So I have to get this key fixed. So I went to my super and I said, listen, I have to, can you take care of this for me? Or like, what should I do? And he just said, just go to a hardware store. Like, they're not going to, you know, if you go to the office, they're going to, like, charge you a bunch of money. Like, you can just go to a hardware store and get it fixed. (laughs) And I go, but it says do not duplicate. He's like, whatever. I, you know, just go to a hardware store. I was like, let's see if this works. I bet you I'm going to have to go to the office. So I go to the hardware store, like, down the block from my apartment. And I take out this key that specifically on it says do not duplicate. And I hand it to the guy. And I go, you know, the key that works says do not duplicate and I said can you cut this key for me and he looks at me he looks at the key and he goes 20 bucks (laughs) so I give him 20 dollars and in like cash money cash money and in like five minutes they have cut me a brand new key (laughs) of course they have and this brand new key they put a little thing on it the like the little you know thing on the top that says do not duplicate (laughs) So I come back to my apartment and I try it in the door and it works. And I go, hold up. How many (laughs) keys are there in this city that say do not duplicate that have been duplicated? Like, this is supposed to give me some semblance of, like, 
security that like not everybody can have these keys because it's the key to my building no who cares if somebody found this key like they could just whatever so you know if michael needs to duplicate that that frog keychain key he could just he needs to go to brooklyn he can just take it to the harbor store on flatbush avenue and just give the guy 20 bucks and it'll be fine that was my key experience i was like i mean easy for me like i don't it saves me a trip to my like rental office but a little alarming just in terms of you know everything else about it that's hilarious i know it was great i was like i was like i gotta tell you know and then i watched the episode and it was like do not duplicate i was like i have to tell this story Okay, do you want to do Shipper Wars now? Yes, of course I do. So Simone is adorable. She is so cute. And I think, so this is another thing And that, I will destroy her. Yes. So this is another thing that came up on the podcast, and this is another thing that actually we've seen referenced to in an earlier season, which is the writer, uh, Jen Stasky, said that she... The writers were very cognizant of the fact that they didn't want this to be, like, two women fighting over a man because she's like, look, in my group of friends, like, that doesn't happen. That doesn't really happen elsewhere outside of, like, television or movies. And so, and they also averted that earlier between Tahani and Eleanor when they were both after Chidi in season one. And Jason, yeah. And Jason, that's right. So, like, you know, it's... I appreciated that. I appreciated that it wasn't like Simone is, you know, that he and Simone are together and Eleanor has a problem with that. Because in real life, they've only, well, in the in the version of this show, they've only known each other for three weeks. Three weeks, yeah. So we have a territorial feeling about it because we've seen them in love. But this version of Eleanor really doesn't know that and she's trying to like be a bro and like hook a bro up you know what i mean like she's trying to pay him back for doing a nice thing for her and she sees that he's having some trouble making that decision so i i really actually appreciated that and i also appreciated the fact that they made simone a character that you could like that it wasn't like you know at the beginning of season two when uh, Michael was torturing Chidi by, like, having him pick between soulmates, and it was, like, this obviously wonderful Angelica, woman. Angelica, Angelique and Pavita, the two women. And, like, Angelique was obviously perfect for him, and Pavita was, like, had, like... A monster. Rest- yeah, like, resting bee face, basically. Resting bench face. And, you know, he gets paired with Pavita, and it's, like, a little too easy to then be like, well, they're not supposed to be together. And... I was actually really appreciative of the fact that Simone was not like a Simone and Chidi is not like a round peg in a square hole, right? Like they could work together if they, if it weren't for the fact that Chelinor forever. I mean, I agree. Like at the end of the day, (laughs) obviously I'm Chelinor forever, but I also appreciate the fact that they're not just treating Simone like she's like a third wheel like she's a third wheel or like she is you know you see this all the time in rom-coms where like there's the female protagonist and the male protagonist and they're obviously supposed to be together but the male protagonist has a fiance or a girlfriend who is like cartoonishly awful cartoonishly awful it has it happens in so so many movies made in manhattan and you know the wedding planner and so only j-lo movies (laughs) And fifty fifty, he has a cartoon. That's not really a rom com, but he has a cartoonishly evil, a cartoonishly like 
you know, benchy girlfriend. You know, we don't need to, we don't need to sit here. Yeah, yeah, movies. yeah. But everybody everyone knows, realizes it's a trope. It's everybody a trope, realizes yeah. that it's a trope, and so I'm glad that they didn't do that because it does give you a little bit of like, oh, you know, it gives some credence to what Janet is saying, which is like there are plenty of iterations where they were they weren't in love and the and things still worked like they still helped each other so like you know maybe this could be genuinely another way to go but then of course chelinor forever yes yeah so mike sure actually had something to say to the oh boy elhani shippers (laughs) so i'm just gonna quote him here yeah based on comments made throughout season one eleanor's sexual preferences are fluid if you were michael trying 800 times to find the perfect blend of happiness and torture for her you might make Eleanor's soulmate a woman in one reboot. It's amusingly predictable that the internet would latch onto two attractive women being soulmates. I don't want to indulge what seems to be a little bit of gross objectifying there. To me, what's more interesting is their friendship, and you see more of that in season three. So like, oh man, he, that, he, he ices that idea out hard. Yeah, he does. People Which are still I'm gonna cool think it, with though. because Chelador forever, but gee, yikes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, I have a little bit of a problem with that reaction because I actually do think that there's something to, if you have a character who's very open about her sexual fluidity, to only acknowledge, you know, the OTP as like a heterosexual relationship, like I can understand why maybe queer fans of the show or people who are looking for more queer content would say, like, well, what about, you know, obviously they, like, Eleanor has the hots for her. Like, why can't we indulge this a little bit? You know, like, come on. I'm not sure it's ever clear that Tahani reciprocates those feelings, though. That's true. I think that would maybe be, like, the other way to do it, would be, like, listen, this is, like, yeah, Eleanor's sexual preferences kind of are on a, you know, she's not a she's on the Kinsey scale so you know somewhere but um I yeah she's she's are. not one of the numbers on the edges of the Kinsey scale. right she's she's smack dab in the middle but Tahani you know that's not where Tahani is so like we have to be respectful of that I mean I think I could I could buy that more than I could buy like oh well they're just objectifying them like I I think there are some people who are I, I bet you looking. that it's both I bet that I bet you that there are fans of both kind of ilks though you know what yeah. i mean i think yeah, that yeah, he yeah. is pro- he, and and, I, and god knows what this man sees you know what i mean like yeah, he's true. on twitter he's maybe on tumblr or something and he probably sees all kinds of you know uh shirt that you and i don't see yeah that's probably and maybe true. he sees a bunch of like broy fans kind of being very into eleanor tahani for kind of prurient reasons yeah Whereas probably our lens is more like, oh, there's queer fans who want to see more queer content, which both of those things I think can be true. Yeah, that's probably and, true. And, and who knows, you know, what the proportion is of people <laughs> who kind of are into it for prurient reasons versus into it for, like, representation reasons. I I mean, I have no way of, of nailing that down, but maybe Mike Shore sees sort of a bigger swath of the internet than you and I see. Maybe. I don't know. I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt here, but I don't know. Yeah. But it also means that, you know, you can kind of focus on Chelinor as the main main pairing. And look, there's I don't think saying, hey, Eleanor and Tahani aren't soulmates. They're not going to get together in the canon of the show. I don't think that's going to stop anybody from writing their fan fiction. That's all. <laughs> no, very clear on that one. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, 
I'm interested to see where the the romantic entanglements go in this season. I'm very interested in that. Yeah, I mean, if the writer for this episode is like a big old Chelinor shipper, then I already like her. Yeah. The end. <laughs> but she doesn't write every episode, right? No. So. No. We should do a Jen Statsky month. She's written for some other shows. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, when we're in our like huge desert of the yeah. real again. Yeah. Months. I don't want to think about that. I know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I, I just appreciate that in an effort to show us different sides of their relationships, you know, they are exploring the fact that like, if Chidi got out of his own way, like the reason that Eleanor and Chidi work so well together is because she kind of gets him out of his own way. But if he were able to do that for himself, he could have like pretty healthy relationships with people who aren't Eleanor, (laughs) you know? Yeah. I mean, he's a good person who is very attractive and, you know, learned and (laughs) has a good job. Okay, we get it. He's your husband. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad my my husband doesn't listen to this podcast. (laughs) Do we have anything else to say about Shipper Wars? No, we're just going to have to buckle in and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Anything else in particular you want to... Why does Sean care so much about these four humans? Well, that's... (laughs) It's obviously the riddle of the season, and that's what we're going to have to find out. Uh, are you asking me to speculate? Yeah. I have no I have no freaking clue. Uh, like, we're way past the point of, like, it's embarrassing. People are going to find out. Like, we are, we have blown right past that. So then it becomes, you know, what exactly is going on? Is it Has the rewinded time created some sort of opportunity for the bad place to do something that they want to do? is the bad place very invested in making sure that the point thing, you know, remains static. Yeah. That would, that would be my idea. The guy in the AV club who was doing the review. I mean, like, I I, I don't mean to nitpick, but that is in fact, of course, my favorite activity. (laughs) So maybe I do mean to nitpick, but he says something like, you know, is there even a good place? We don't know for sure that anyone has ever been sent to the good place. I was like, well, that's not really true, right? You know, in in season one, episode one, Michael tells Eleanor that Abraham Lincoln is in the good place. Yeah, but he's been li- he's lying to her at that point, so I don't know that we can. Like, <sighs> well, I, I but get we also the... learn after after Dan Sans resolution, we learn that you know Michael says like the best lies are you know covered in truth or whatever he says like most of what he has said up to that point has been true is the implication i i don't think Mm. that there is no good place would i think that'd be a really weird because look mindy is in the medium place that is a hard and fast fact right yeah that because we've seen the bad place like be unable to get in there and and this that the other thing mindy is not a good person (laughs) right so the idea that she is the only person to have escaped the bad place is ludicrous. Well, so there's another, um, this is going into the review section, which you mentioned a little bit with the AV club, but Vulture, the person who wrote the Vulture article says, what if the next huge twist is the good place in the good place is that the world is really the good place and we're screwing it up. Oh, I would totally believe like the good place is not a place it's like it's like achieving nirvana or whatever that you kind of move on or the good place is like another planet or whatever she, you want to I do think it. she literally means like earth is the good place and we have to like learn how to be happy 
and be good people while we're on Earth. So if you're good, you get to be reincarnated? Is that the idea? I don't That's I don't know. Okay. Well, that, we seems, kind of, that seems like a weird theory. No, but we kind of had this in our very first episode, had the like hell is other people conversation. Yes. And so Sartre. Be, <laughs> you mean Daria? <laughs> yeah. um, so, but maybe there's something to like, you know, the good place is, you know, a state of mind. Or what does he say when the bad place, their neighborhood is like disintegrating behind them? Like, I guess the bad place was in us the whole time or something. Yeah. <laughs> the real bad good place was the friends, the friends we made, we made along, along the way. Technically, that's true. Yeah. yeah. I'll give it to you. Yeah, I don't know. We're going to have to find out. I would say that they're probably pretty invested in keeping the point system the way it is, because otherwise it would mess up their whole, like, paradigm and jeopardize their jobs, I guess. Like, what does a demon do if they're not torturing? Yeah, it's not clear, like... They, have a, they, they claim to have an accounting department, but, like, what in god's name for there's no money there's no there doesn't seem to be any finiteness of resources so like uh, are they worried that all these demons are going to be out of a job and once they're out of a job something is going to happen Ooh, i like that idea that maybe the demons will like invade earth yeah maybe or revolt yeah oh it's gonna be it's gonna be very paradise lost it's gonna be Supernatural. Sorry. It's been a long time. Okay. It's been a long time since I brought up Supernatural. They will be a Comic Con on Friday. Four episodes since I brought up Supernatural. They will be a Comic Con on Friday. Kate has already told me that she does not want to go to the panel with me. So, you know, if you are into Supernatural. Kate, be a good friend. No, she was like, hey, here are all the panels. No, I'm not going to Supernatural. (laughs) (laughs) It was great. (laughs) Yeah, but like. You know, it's very Paradise Lost or sort of the fight between angels and demons is sort of the ultimate battle, right? So maybe, maybe this, maybe I'm just completely spitballing here, but like maybe the good and bad places were, maybe it's sort of like a a peacekeeping situation where like the the good and bad places are the, the entities that are, okay, we're going to split things up this way because we've been fighting about it for generations. We're going to split things up this way and never the twain shall meet. And, like, everybody, you know, do your thing on your side of the of the fence, I guess. And, you know, with, only with Mindy in the middle. It would be such a weird revelation because, you know, as far as we know, Michael is has existed since the beginning of all of this mm-hmm. because he gives his birth year a zero, right? Yeah, <laughs> so... True. But but Michael knows nothing about the good place, so it would be interesting if yeah, that's true. It was some sort of angels and demons, not the Dan Brown book nonsense going on. But it predated Michael, who seems to be one of the sort of original gangsters of this whole thing. Or it's at a higher level than Michael. Yes, that's very possible. Yeah, like if if you have people who are in upper management, for lack of a better word, like feuding with each other, who knows. All right, you want to get into spoiler talk before we uh, before we wrap up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Per so, usual, we have no special sources. Our spoilers are very mild, so you can turn this off if you want to be super unspoiled. But you know, nothing that we talk about is going to be earth shattering. Spoiler alert: If you read the Vulture article that I did, you know all of these things already because they're <laughs> all taken from the Vulture article. I did want to say one thing that 
that Michael Schur said in the Newsweek interview. Okay. Which is that they estimated that the cockroaches were in the afterlife for 250 to 300 years. Wow. And so he says, we delve more into the nature of how time works in season three, which is like, it's not really a spoiler, I guess. But yeah, it's people have wondered about that. There is an interesting article from Esquire about the good places doing what Lost never could. I think we should we'll save that because, you know, it's getting a little late. So I'll save that for an episode where we don't have as much to sort of go through it plot wise. So going to the spoiler zone, but I think it's just an interesting look at like the morality of the show. So I do want to talk about it, but um, all the reviews were like, thank God the show is back. Basically <laughs> like everyone was yes. like, Oh God, thank you. We really need this. Like, I mean, I don't think Bran and I really want to get into it, but no. obviously this, this week has been literal torture for many Americans. Yes. It is. <laughs> Ourselves included. Yeah. Really bad. And so having the opportunity to escape to this show was such a, such a, such an oasis in the desert yeah that it was like you will kind of just want to fall down at michael Schur's feet and be like thank you yeah (laughs) yeah um vulture says uh the good place is a beacon of light in this week of darkest timeline news feeds yeah exactly so spoiler zone very quickly um like i said this is all from vulture there's a line from Judge Jen coming up about the ripple effects uh, uh, that Michael is causing. And she says to him, because of you, Byron Allen owns the Weather Channel now. So I don't know who that is. He's a comedian. <laughs> I think this actually happened in real life. But that, to me, shows that she does know something is up. Well, she knew that they were changing the timeline. So that's true. That's not necessarily implying that she knows that they were cheating. That's true. That is true. I hadn't thought about it that way. The article also says Trevor, obviously played by Adam Scott, plays a key role in the second episode, which is we'll see coming up this coming week, and is given a hilarious array of characteristics to highlight what a garbage person he is. <laughs> I mean, I think we could have. That's not really a spoiler. We know he's a garbage person. <laughs> a demon person. is bad. Right. Yeah. And then she writes, the third episode ends on a cliffhanging note that suggests the good place is about to swerve in yet another new direction. Now, she means next week because this this first two episodes were aired last um this- i actually don't think she does because she said trevor plays a key role in the second episode oh okay 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 so she so means like week by week cool. week by week so two weeks from now ends on a cliffhanging note that suggests the good place is about to swerve in yet another new direction Dun, dun, dun. let's take a quick look at the episode list that was emailed to us oh uh, we got an email from Trifton. I didn't see this until this moment because he sent it like three hours ago. Okay. <laughs> Saying, Brianna, you got your wish. I hope you're happy. The cockroaches are doomed. Oh, because your boyfriend is back. That's what he means. <laughs> <laughs> My boyfriend is back. I'm so happy. I was asking for him for a whole season. Like Every episode would be like, where's my man? Where's my man? So... The next episode is called The Brainy Bunch, and, like, we obviously know what that's a reference to now. They're all getting their MRIs, right? Yeah, yeah. But then the third, you know, the third week is called The Cloning of Agamemnon, so... I... I got nothing. Do they go back in time? Look, (laughs) anything is possible. Anything is possible! Agamemnon? Wasn't that... He Wasn't he from Troy? Yeah, yeah, it's from the Iliad, yeah. okay. So that's not a philosopher. 
No, it's a fictional character. Well, I mean, depends how real you think the Trojan War is. I think it has grains of truth, but... Maybe, is there... Oh my gosh, does that... uh, Trevor's kind of a Trojan horse. Dun, dun, dun! Do you think there's, like, some more demons coming through or something? Oh my goodness. They maybe they've unleashed hell on earth. Oh my gosh. Ah, I'm so excited for this season. <laughs> Remember the last uh, the last chapter is called The Book of Doug. <laughs> my man, my my other man. <laughs> um Oh, Doug Forsett, but it could be, you know, Doug is also Eleanor's dad's name. Oh. I didn't remember that. Wow, there's a lot to digest here and I'm very thank you so much for being back. The good place. we missed you so much you could not have come out at a better time no literally i think i think the world was like hey so the good place is coming back what can we do to like make sure that people are extra grateful for it dumpster fires everywhere <laughs> everywhere oh boy okay well next week the episode is called the brainy, the brainy bunch. bunch. So we will see more of this. I was going to say study group like community. <laughs> <laughs> kind of is. It kind of is. We'll see more of our cockroach study group. Until then, do everything you can to be nominated for a BAFTA. We'll <laughs> see you next time, Big Waiting for you